have mentors, have people around you, belong to a professional organization. You can't be shy in the industry. You have to go and meet people. You have to introduce yourself. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to episode number 12. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capitol Grill City Center with my guest, Eleanor Cluzel, Managing Director of the Energy Business Unit for Business France. How are you this afternoon, Eleanor? Um, I'm soaking wet. You're soaking wet. It's raining here in Houston, just out of the blue. <laughs> Doesn't it always? Yeah. So before we go deeper into your current role, could you please tell our audience how you got started? Pretty story, I guess, or pretty funny story. I don't know if uh, your listeners can uh, can pick it up, but I have an accent. I'm actually French. Um, I was. I born- won't hold it against you. <laughs> Thank you. I was born and raised in Paris, and I never thought in my life that I would actually work in oil and gas. Actually, to be honest, I never knew this existed. This industry existed. The reason I'm, I'm actually in oil and gas, which I love and I wouldn't change it for a world now, it's because I met my husband. Oh, wow. It's romantic. So I come from a background of artistry. I was definitely dedicated in my life to uh, working in own galleries and all that um, nice stuff. But one day I went to a dinner party in Paris and I was seated to a very nice gentleman who started courting me, as you know, all the Frenchmen know how to do. And he didn't want to tell me what, you know, usually when you meet someone, you're going to ask them, you know, the three questions. So what's your name? How old are you? What do you do? Right. He wouldn't answer any of it. Oh, man of mystery. Huh? Man of mystery. Yeah. The only thing that he told me was basically, I work six months out of out, out of a year. Who has a job that makes him work six months and have six months of vacation? And the guy actually made me believe he was working for the French Secret Service. I was like, what? <laughs> it took me. It took him at least four days to actually to tell me that he was working in the industry for oil and gas offshore, you know, on a platform for a big drilling company. And that's how my career started. Basically, we met, we fell in love. And after two months, he was like, you know what? I have a super cool job that is waiting for me in Houston. Do you want to move? So I moved to Houston. And back in France, I was actually a recruiter. And I got my first job here in Houston uh, after after three weeks of being here. And I started for a recruiting firm in the oil and gas uh, division. So that's how it all started. Okay. All right. So let's discuss that journey between when you first started and maybe some of the challenges you went through to get to now. So you have to realize I knew nothing about this industry. And it's actually an industry that is quite complicated when you come from the outside of it. It is such a vast spectrum from upstream to downstream. There's so many roles and components to actually understand from exploration to production and to where it all goes. So the biggest challenges was actually not, you know, coming from that background, whether it was education or family, to understand the ecosystem of the companies I was going to help and understand where their products were going to fit in the industry. 
the way I've overcome this challenge or hurdles is I did a lot of webinars. I attended a lot of uh, industry events and also got myself a lot of mentors. That's basically who kind of taught me how this industry worked, who made, who made it happen for me to go visit and go on site on rigs and understand how, you know, uh, how everything works. And so I got to meet a lot of people and uh, who were kind enough to kind of take me under their wings and explain to me and show me, you know, all the readings, all the books that I could, you know, digest to make it easier on me. Um, and now I am managing director of Business France, which is basically the French agency for trade and development. And we help um, our companies um, grow their footprint in North America, meaning that I lead the business unit for energy and I help those company, companies, mainly suppliers, understand you know, the local market and get some business here. Very good. Can you explain a little further what exactly what you do now? So my role is definitely 80% business development. What that means is I when I take on a company, I when I actually sign a, uh, on a client, I understand their product and basically I help them what depending on their strategy. I'm like a consultant but for the French administration. So when I take on a client, I help them strategize one how to penetrate and develop, you know, their uh, product or their uh, company in in the oil and gas market. Most of the times in France, we have a lot of great manufacturers or suppliers for the oil and gas industry. They have innovative solutions, but they don't know how to market themselves. They don't know how to do a sales pitch. They don't know how to because it's very different the way you sell in Europe than the way you sell in America. One of the things that my mentor told me, the very first thing he told me, you do not sell to oil and gas if you do not understand or if, you don't, if you're not aware of how your product can solve a problem to your customer. And French people tend to forget that. They always We have great engineers, but they always develop products for the beauty of it. There's not, they don't think about the commercial applications to it. Right. Does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. So when I take on a French company, I always let them know or help them think about how does my product, whether it's hardware or software, can make it easier or solve a problem on my client. It's not about... Am I the cheapest? Right. That nobody yeah. cares about that. Yeah. You know? And so how has everything changed in this downturn for you? I mean, obviously it's the upstream and service and, and you still have the other spectrum, the other sectors within the industry. Yes. So it's harder. F- I mean, when that downturn hit, a lot of French companies were like, oh, we're not going to be interested in North America anymore. I mean, we're going to concentrate on other regions because that's where, you know, more work is and nothing is happening right now in, in, in Texas. I mean, there's no drilling, whether it's in the Gulf, whether in the Bakken and so forth. That's exactly where my expertise told them you have the wrong opinion. It's actually one in a downturn where small to mid-sized companies want to actually be present because it's not when everybody's going to come back up that you're going to be able to compete against the Schlumbergers, the Camerons, or whatever, whatever, you know, big conglomerates. If you prepare yourself well enough in the downturn and start, you know, 
loading your gun, that's where you're going to be ready when the business is going to be picking up. Right. What kind of problems have y'all been trying to solve? Well, so I'm not going to reveal my clients. However, what I can tell you, I have great companies who help solve efficiency problems when it comes to drilling, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, using a lot of software, analytics software, uh, to actually, you know, analyze better what the operators are doing. Uh, I've got a lot of companies are using um, fiber optics in Mm -hmm. downhole tools, which are great. You know, it's a new technology. Companies like that, I actually have uh, this great company that I helped. Um, they actually developed a sandwich plate for FPSOs. They, that company, they are the only one in the world to do it. Because when usually, when you have to, so when you take a FPSO, you know, the boat, I don't know if I'm explaining right, but uh, the metallic structure in the couple of years that you're using your boat, the metallic structure, you have to replace the, the metal plates, right? Right. And when you have to do that, you have to do hot work and you have to bring back the boat to dry dock. Yes. Right? Yeah. So this company developed basically a sandwich plate that uses, they don't use hot work. They usually, they actually do it in cold work and you don't have to put your boat on, on dry dock. That's neat. Yeah, that is definitely neat. They're the first one to be actually, they have the certification by ABB and Veritas and all those, you know, class society. Yeah. So they're the first one in the world to do it. And they actually been picked up by SBM Offshore to do some, to do some work. Wow, it's a game changer, really. It is a game changer. Eliminate downtime. Exactly. And when you think about it, cost, you know, doing hot work versus cost doing cold work, it, I mean, it eliminates millions and millions of dollars in the equation. Oh, yeah. And that's quite useful right now. Well, in any moment, really. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? So the advice I'm going to give is mostly to the people who have been in the industry around five to seven years who are fairly new. There's two things I would advise. Have multiple mentors. I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't have the knowledge that I have. I wouldn't know the people that I know in my network if I didn't, if I didn't have people who've helped me along the way in order to achieve that. Because you have to realize when I came to Paris, I knew no one. I mean, I didn't know anything about the industry. I knew no one. I didn't know any events. I didn't know any people. And I've met a couple people. I met Tom, from, who's a VP from Cameron, who helped me tremendously along the way. I've met some great VPs over at Noble who kind of uh, took me under their wings and explained to me the business. And they were so nice to me because they realized that they're closer to retiring than anything else. And they have that mindset that they need to educate the younger generation. And that's what I love about this industry. It's a very family-oriented industry. People take care of each other. Yeah, absolutely. We're all competing in a sense, yes, but we all rem- we always remember that we are an industry people and we need to take care of each other. And therefore, people have a really, I mean, Texans and oil and gas people have a really deep thinking or embedded knowledge that they want to help their peers. And that's what I love about the industry. So have mentors, have people around you, belong to a professional organization. API is a great one. Uh, for women in the industry, I would recommend when. Yes. Um, uh, listen to podcasts, of course, to keep up with uh, what's going on in the industry. We are an industry that 
every day there's new information coming to you. You have to educate yourself on a daily basis, whether it's technology, whether, you know, it's projects, ongoing projects, future projects. We're like, I basically, we're like doctors. It's not like you, you come in the industry, but every day you have to read something new. You have to educate yourself. You have to learn something new. Yes, it just seems the only constant is change. I agree. And if you want to still be in competition, you want to see what's happening, what others are doing, uh, how are they doing it, what kind of products they're you know utilizing, what kind of strategy they're thinking when it comes to where am I going to operate, you know which region, and so forth. So let me ask you this. Where did you meet these mentors? How did you stumble? upon them? So when I started my job, I went out a lot to a lot of different events. And to be honest, I didn't know how to rate them. There were awesome events, terrible events. I was lucky enough, I am lucky enough to actually be attending Sarah Week every, every year. You've got everybody coming. I mean, it's not even, I mean, if you don't meet one person, well, I mean, if you don't meet 10 person a day, there's something wrong. Um, OTC, of course, um, it's you basically OTC is like a hustling week. I mean, you go, you attend events, you attend parties, you go to, I go to every booth that I want to, and I just introduce myself. Yeah. The, so mentors being part of, you know, events and also you have to be a hustler. That is very well put. You can't be shy in the industry. You have to go and meet people. You have to introduce yourself. You know, to be honest with you. When I first started, I was really concerned that people were not going to take me seriously because I was not an engineer. I understand that. I'm not an engineer. I will definitely never understand the more, the more complex technical problems, and I will never solve any you know, issues or de- develop patents, for sure. But there's so many jobs in this industry. I mean, marketing, public relations, government affairs, uh, sales, that... It's not because you're not an engineer that you cannot relate to people, you cannot understand their problems, and that doesn't mean you don't have the knowledge uh, or the understanding of their ecosystem to say, hey, you know what, I'm not, I cannot help you myself, but I know someone who can. Right, right. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. What book influenced you the most? Well, in Guess 101, <laughs> I've read this book that publishes, I think it's the... Austin University every year. They provide oh, every UT. UT. It's I think it's called uh, Oil and Gas Primer or something. Oh yes, yes, I'm, a, I'm familiar. Uh, so the University of Texas. And what I loved about this book is someone, you know, someone like me who never understood, well, who didn't come from industry. I was able to read that book and understand it, and have a big picture of you know exploration, production, transportation. Uh, refining, well, downstream refining and for So every year I buy the revised edition and I read it. A little geeking out, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's your most used business tool? Being a woman. I can see. Okay. You're going to have to elaborate. When I met my first mentor, Mark, tying back to the fact that I was scared of not being an engineer was going to be a hurdle for me. And since I'm in sales, Mark was like, you actually are so wrong. Being a woman is going to be your most valuable asset. The reason why if you're smart, you're intelligent, you know what you're talking about. There's few women in this industry. Well, much more now. But as a salesperson, don't you think that when you're going to try to get meetings, 
people are tired of seeing like sales guys, you know, <laughs> for the last 20 years. You're like a woman who's 25 and you're actually new and people are going to want to take you under their wing. They want to they weren't going to see especially since I was, you know, an expatriate and international. I was kind of like the odd bird and mm-hmm. they always wanted to meet me to see well, what is she, what is she about? So I guess being a woman and I think women are also very persistent in what they do. Incredibly. I think, I mean, to some clients, I called them literally for six months every two days. Oh, wow. And in the end, they were like, okay, you know what? Let's meet because I know you're going to call me the next six months and I just can't take it anymore. (laughs) So, yeah, being a hustler as well. You know, for me, what defines me, I I have a motto and my motto is basically, you can never say no to me. I don't take no for an answer. I might adopt that. Can I? Sure. (laughs) Don't take no for an answer, ever. It's pretty respectful. So normally I ask the question, who's your most respected competitor? And I don't know if that's necessarily applicable in this situation. But I can tell you what, who's my most respected the company, so I've met a lot of different companies, you know, here. Mm-hmm. I've met service companies. I've met um, operators, downstream companies, you name it. And the company that I felt, to me, that I love their culture, I love the way they thought, was Noble Energy. Mm-hmm. The reason why I say that is because Noble Energy has always taken a very preventative approach, a very conservative approach on their operation. If you compare it to the service company, like in the last two, well, three three years now, has laid off what? How many people? 100, 100,000, 150? Something incredibly high. And counting. Yes. Noble Energy has only had only one wave of layoff, and that was it. Because they were not greedy, and they always taken... A conservative approach on what they're gonna, what they were gonna do, you know, what blogs they were gonna buy, what countries they were gonna operate with. So I love that because in that com- particular company, they laid off very few people and they were done. Well, didn't they even acquire another company? I think it was Rosetta. Yes. Yeah, during like right there, yeah. like when everything's just going down. Yeah, and that's why I love about them is because you know. I mean, I haven't been in the industry when previous downturn happened, but from my perspective and from what, you know, people and conversation I had, at one point, I think our industry came a little too greedy and companies came, grew too much in too little time because people were not, were outside of reality and they took it for granted. I mean, if you talk to, for example, my husband, he was telling me stories on how his company would spend millions and millions of dollars on alloys that actually were put on a boat, and nobody thought that the boat couldn't reach a location because of a particular bridge. And they were like, oh, it's okay. You know, we'll ship it back and ship it in another route. That's what lost. 20 millions? Goodness. 30 millions? Yeah. Just for a stupid... You know, not uh, thought through reason. And I think, you know, when we had the barrel at $130, $140, people didn't care how much anything cost because companies were making multi millions of dollars every day. And I think Noble 
and I might be wrong, but from what I've came to realize and the people I talk, they were always more, they were more, you know, they down, they were, they were more like on the lay low and uh, they kept, you know, reality, their realities in check. And that's why they were able to actually go through this downturn without laying massive tons of people. What would you say your most important lesson learned is? lesson I've learned, either whether it's professional or personal, is that it doesn't matter how you fall. The only thing that matters is how you get up. Especially, I want to say to the people who were laid off, lost their jobs, have been out of work for the last six months, year, two years, whatever the time may be, never give up. Never give up always trust in yourself and your destiny that doesn't mean you don't have to do any work to you know to to actually find something for you but trust in your power trust in who you are in your integrity in your professionalism be a hustler go out there meet people go meet recruiters go knock on doors because in the end it's all about a mathematical game if you knock on 300 doors one is bound to open. And always remember that. I like that. That's uh, well, That kind of hit me because that's actually how I got where I am is I, I was laid off. That's pretty inspiring. Yeah. So just knock on doors. Or call them every two days for the next six months. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite podcast? Oil and gas industry leaders. <laughs> Thank you. Now you're making me blush. (laughs) Um, Any other personal, any other podcast you listen to? Nope, just that one. Now I'm really blushing. (laughs) (laughs) Now I feel it's only appropriate we announce this week's winner for the $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill. So congratulations to William Lasky. So if you want to win a $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill, and who wouldn't, visit www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast. Every, every week, you've got to sign up every week, guys. Enter your information and listen to next week's show to see if your name's chosen. As always, a link will be provided in the show notes to make it easier to enter. And if you're not familiar with Bulwark, they're the leader, not to mention the largest manufacturer of flame-resistant clothing in the entire world. So after you've signed up for that steak dinner, be sure to check out the rest of Bulwark's website to learn more. And since Oil and Gas Global Network's calendar is filled with events, I also need to thank our on-the-road travel sponsors. So Lee Hex Harrison is the world's leading talent development and transition company that helps businesses simplify the transformation of their talent and workforces to accelerate results and reduce risk. They also help individuals build their careers within their companies or transition into new opportunities. So visit www.lhh.com for more information about that. And then we have Total Land Technologies, and they have the world's most advanced field land management system, which is the Land Man Virtual Office. So visit www.totalland.com for more information about them. Also, uh, I need reviews. I haven't gotten any new reviews lately, folks. So if you could do me a, a big favor and just take a couple minutes out of your, your busy schedules to leave something in iTunes, that'd be great. Don't write it how you want. I just, I would, I, I need feedback to know how, let me know I'm doing okay. 
Yes, please give us a thum- thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, Eleanor, given the circumstances of the weather. Thank uh, you so much. <laughs> if people want to reach out to you to get more information about your company, how could they go about doing that? Uh, they can certainly uh, shoot an email, uh, and my email address is Eleanor, E L E. N-O-R-E dot Cluzel, C-L-U-Z-E-L at Business France, all attached dot F-R. I know it's a French email address. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I'll make sure I'll put that in the show notes. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.